Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ray LeClaire about avoiding malpractice claims. Ray is the Vice President, Public Affairs at LawPro, the lawyer's professional indemnity company. Before joining LawPro, Ray worked in-house, practiced with a major national law firm, and ran his own solo practice. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Ray. Thank you, Shelley. It's a pleasure to be here and to, to, to speak with you again. Well, thanks so much for being here. From what I understand, LawPro is more than a professional liability insurance provider. So I thought a good place to start would be to ask you to tell us a bit more about LawPro and your role there. Thank you. So my role is in uh, government relations, basically is primary role, but then uh, the secondary role is uh, claims prevention. And so go around the the province, the country, speaking to lawyers about uh, what they should or should not be doing. As I like to say, it's learn from the mistakes of others and not your own. And <laughs> so I try to point those out. But LawPro, uh, although many know us as their insurer, um, I try to uh, emphasize that we are much more. Uh, we have many, many resources that are available um, to, for lawyers um, to be able to uh, avoid the, the situations where they would have a claim um, and to better their practice, make it more efficient, um, you know, hopefully make more money out of it, but also to avoid the claims and the uh, complaints to law society. Uh, those are very time consuming. And so we have a resource de- dedicated to that, which is practicepro.ca. It has uh, checklists and articles and magazines and uh, a number of, of different resources that are available, again, to uh, help the lawyer better their practice, understand their area, understand the issues that people face. Uh, We have malpractice fact sheets uh, where they can go and take a look and see what kind of errors are coming out in their specific area of law. And we have 10 different sheets uh, available. So those type things are available. Uh, We have avoidaclaim.com. It was started as a resource uh, for Ontario lawyers uh, to be able to uh, understand the frauds and get notice of the frauds that were uh, targeting lawyers. Uh, we are very proud to see that it has become a worldwide resource and uh, it is being uh, accessed by uh, a number of people, thousands a day um, across the world. And uh, we use it, uh, we uh, seek the information from lawyers. And uh, when we do get the information can confirm it, uh, we put up the, uh, the claims and uh, people can go and actually search online uh, to see uh, if they have, if the, the name that they have, that the client, potential client that they have doubts about, they're not quite sure if it's fraud or not, uh, they can go in, put the name in. And if we have any knowledge of it, uh, it'll come up. You'll see the emails, you'll see the ID, you'll see the checks, you'll see whatever information that we have. Um, so it's a, it's a very useful uh, resource, but we also put practice management tips. And so if something comes up, the courts are changing or the uh, there's a new pronouncement from, uh, from the director of titles on land, um, uh, something along those lines that, that lawyers should know about, uh, we will put those tips up. And you can actually subscribe so that you don't actually have to go to the website. You can subscribe to it. And in the morning, when you when you basically turn on your system, there'll be an email there and you can take a quick look. They're usually very short articles. 
And I know I, I'm subscribed and every, uh, you know, when I get it, I can take a look at it and go, oh, yes, I see. I know about this and, and delete it. Oh, no, I don't know about this. And let, let me read about it. But it's, you know, it's usually a, a five minute read and, and uh, I'm up to, to date. And uh, so it's very, very useful and helpful. Mm-hmm. Also, at the end of the year, when the Law Society sends you your annual report, and you're supposed to confirm that you are up to date on uh, the frauds uh, and the various fraud schemes there are around. Um, it's a great way. How do you know? Well, LawPro has told you about all of the frauds. So uh, it's, a, it's a great resource that's available there. We also have Title Plus, which is the title insurance side. Again, it does have some resources there for lawyers. So there's, there's a wealth of information. And of course, the lawpro.ca is the insurance side. But if you were con- you know, looking to see, you want a copy of the policy, you want to see the annual report as to what uh, LawPro is involved with and, and uh, uh, different things we have, we also have that information there. So wealth of information is available uh, for yeah. lawyers um, or they can contact us. And uh, it's something that we do uh, try to do is try to uh, um, help lawyers uh, deck, although we don't necessarily have a help desk, but uh, uh, mm-hmm. basically we try when we can uh, to be able to have a discussion. We can't give advice, uh, but we can surely have a discussion and uh, point you to some resources that we would have. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm just surprised that that isn't public, though, the wealth of information that's available there isn't publicized more. So I'm just so happy to, um, yeah, to hear all about the wonderful resources that are there. Um, And one of the things I I noticed when I was sort of surfing around the website was that uh, when it comes to sort of the claim statistics that you've put together, there was a statement that really struck me. It was, Four out of five lawyers can expect to have at least one malpractice claim in the course of their career. That struck me as being pretty high. Yeah, I'm just wondering if maybe we can talk about that a little bit more and maybe just unpack that a bit. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it sounds high, but I mean, you know, lawyers have 20, 30, 40 years of practice. Um, You can't be perfect all the time. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's a bit of what we're trying to get the message around, you know, people hide mistakes and um, and don't want to talk about it. And I understand you don't want to talk about your own or, or you know, maybe sensitive to it, uh, but it should be discussed in a general way. And we find that there's a, a much better results when firms and lawyers together uh, will talk about mistakes um, and things that are going or things that are happening or things that they learned about. And they don't necessarily have to attribute it to themselves, but they can uh, deal with it. So, and so, yes, four to five lawyers have a claim sometime in their in their career, but we have long careers. Um, luckily, up to now, our statistics are almost 50% of those claims that we get are closed without any payment whatsoever on us. Uh, because although the lawyer has had claim against them, it's not a valid claim or not a claim that that is that is covered by the the policy. Uh, remember, we're mm-hmm. dealing with negligence. Um, right. A lot of a lot of clients will complain about their fees or about uh, you know uh, other aspects uh, of of the of the uh, the service they got, which has nothing to do with a valid claim. And so uh, again, having many claims doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Uh, but there are some, you know, there are some things that happen and, you know, life happens. Uh, there's all, for all kinds of reasons and mm-hmm. uh, uh, lawyers will have claims. And uh, what LawPro has tried to do to educate lawyers about that is we created kind of categories of where lawyers are see claims. 
And we basically come down to four major categories, uh, which is communication, inadequate investigation, time management, and knowledge of the law. And they're in that order, basically. Um, so thank God, um, lawyers seem to know the law, and that seems to be a lesser <laughs> uh, issue. Where that comes up, though, interesting enough, is dabblers. Uh, you know, dabblers mm-hmm. don't necessarily, they may know the law generally, but not specifically in what they're dabbling in. And that's why we discourage dabblers. Communication is our number one um, uh, area where lawyers have problems. Um, I find it a little ironic that the lawyers are supposed to be such great communicators, and yet that's the greatest claims that we have, and we can discuss that a bit more. Having said that, I think we have to address the inadequate information or inadequate investigation. Basically, yeah. um, that has become number two. It used, it used to be number three behind time management, and inadequate investigation has become number two. And it's simply because lawyers are not asking enough questions or they're not getting the information they need to properly serve the client or haven't undertaken the searches or done the due diligence that they should. And, and hmm. on that last point, lawyers often will, will reply saying, yes, but, lawyer, but clients don't want me to spend any money to do the due diligence or to do that search. Hmm. We understand that. That's not necessarily the preferred way of practicing, but there's a simple answer for lawyers is to document the discussion and the client's instructions not to proceed with the search. Again, it comes back to maybe an issue of communication. Right, um, because right. what happens is, of course, once a thing blows up, the client comes back and goes, but, but you didn't, but you didn't. Um, and it may be something that's fairly standard or fairly easy to do. Obviously, the cost to it. But the lawyer has nothing to justify the fact that they didn't do that search or didn't do that due diligence or didn't verify that fact. And uh, so we see it in wills where, um, you know, the proper names are in all the, the kids' names are not there. The, uh, you have a, a property that's supposed to be joint tenant that's not. You have it uh, in all kinds of various uh, fashion uh, where in real estate you're going to be doing, you don't do an abutting land search and find out that they do own abutting land, the properties merge, and now your instrument is, is not valid. Uh, there's a number of places where that happens. But again, very, very simple document. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to go back to the idea of communication being the number one area or the most common claims area. What do you mean? Like, what types of communication errors are you seeing? I mean, it starts with the retainer, right? And uh, nobody, nobody loves to do a retainer. Uh, and it, you know, the common common flack I get is that you know, why would I do a twenty or thirty page document that nobody reads? Um, but it doesn't have to be that. It can be as simple as an email, but it's a matter of making sure the scope is clear. What are you doing and what are you not doing? And so out of that comes uh, the things that we see is that the client thinks you're doing one thing, you think you're doing another thing, and of course, there's a miscommunication there. Um, you, may not, you may have agreed that you're not doing something, but again, if it's not in writing, the client won't remember that. And we get a number of claims where the client comes back after the work was successfully done. They were very happy with it, but now they find a part two, which should have been done, which you may have warned them about, but nothing's in writing. And now they come back and go, well, what happened about part two? My limitation period is gone. My limitation you know, is up and I can't do anything about it now. And now there's a claim against a lawyer. When, mm. you know, very easily, if there had been a retainer, if there had been an email pointing that out, if there had been a reporting letter that set that out, that could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. We also mm-hmm. have situations where um, lawyers don't necessarily explain what they're going to be doing. 
we are the experts and therefore we know what you need that needs to be done and we go ahead and do it. Um, mm. We forget in all of this, that there's a client that you're serving, a client that has that may know or may not know and typically would not know what the steps are, what the procedures are, what the implications are. And so it's a matter of taking the client through um, and and setting that up so that you they understand these are the things we will be doing. These are the effects of that being done. And here's the outcome or likely outcome or you know potential shortfalls that there may be so that the client can be fully aware. And we have that a number of times where uh, we're doing, they're doing a, a settlement in a litigation matter, and they'll agree on the settlement, uh, but not have discussed what the tax implications are. And so, of course, when the accountant's doing the tax at the end of the year and goes, oh, yeah, you owe a lot more money because you did it this way, not that way. All of a sudden, they're pointing to the lawyer going, why did you have me settle that way? Uh, mm-hmm. When the lawyer you know, either should have raised that or at least should have directed them to the other professional. Right. Uh, to have some feedback. Um, so it's all of the, those kinds of things because, you know, clients don't know what they don't know. And uh, we are supposedly the experts. And so we should have an indication of what is it that we should be advising clients to do and who else they should be consulting. A lot of lawyers, you know, won't go into the tax issue because they say I'm not qualified, which is fair. But the lawyer's obligation is to at least direct the client to go see that other professional to get them to consult and and put it and put it in writing to them that you should be consulting whether the client does or not that's that's their business and 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 that'll be their ramification as long as you've advised them that they should be looking out for that right right i just want to pick up on something that you said about timing of claims are like is there a sort of a i don't know an average time period after service has been provided when claims get reported like is it immediate or i don't know i guess i always had that feeling that you could be hit with a claim years after um service has been provided and you're no longer um working with the particular clients I think our oldest claim that we have on record is 42 years after the work was done. No. Uh, (laughs) So unfortunately with claims, there's no red flag that goes up or, you know, buzzer that goes off to say that there's a, you know, there's an error. Um, So clients discover it when they discover it. And it may be weeks, it may be years down the road. The most frequent flyers, if you want, the ones who report the most are usually between six and 25 years of practice. Um, and we find there's usually, a, you know, the, the, some claims come in sooner, some claims come in later. Uh, it depends on the nature of the claim. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. As you know, we now have an ultimate limitation period of 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and as to whether or not that hasn't been tested in court yet. And so we don't know. And there's a, there's a couple of uh, exemptions to that uh, that we won't go into here. But I mean, that is in place. Now, in other provinces where they have an ultimate limitation period, they've been upheld. So we're hopeful that Ontario's ultimate limitation period will be upheld. Uh, but we'll have to wait to see what a court does. But, you know, 15 years is still a long time yeah. to have a, a possible claim come in. And uh, uh, they come in, we have about, uh, you know, 3,000 claims a year uh, that come in. And uh, we have uh, over 4,000 open files at uh, at any one time. Those are all ongoing matters that, uh, you know, will take uh, a few weeks to, to a number of years to resolve. Wow. Wow. So all the more, um, I guess, another another reason to be documenting, um, you know, 
everything and making sure you have that paper trail and communicating with clients and, you know, putting all of that in writing. Um, yeah, because how can you be expected to remember things all those years later? Uh, I'm wondering too, is there a sort of a higher incidence of claims in certain practice areas? I remember when I was practicing, it was real estate. Is that still the case? I guess being a, a real estate lawyer, <laughs> kind of pleased to say that it's fallen off the, the, the number one on the chart. For years, you were right. I mean, real estate and litigation were fighting for number one. Not quite sure it's a fight that, you know, an award they should be uh, <laughs> celebrating. But in the last uh, three, four, five years, uh, litigation has been number one. Uh, real estate has uh, has tail is still number two, and they are still quite high. They're you know roughly a third each of the uh, of the claims that we get, so they're still very very high. Um, the uh, then we have claims in uh, in every area of law that lawyers practice. There's no area of law that's not uh, been touched. Um, and when you look at it, um, you know our premium base is the same for everybody, but we're supposed to operate on a commercially viable basis. How can you be commercially viable if you have one segment that's extremely high and others that are not? Um, and so the way that we compensate is with the transaction levies. And so basically, if you're a litigation lawyer and you open a file, whether you're plaintiff or defendant, it's $100 a file. If you're a real estate lawyer and you open a file, whether it's a uh, purchaser, mortgage, or a vendor, it's $65 a file. They both were set up at $50 a file initially, and uh, then through the experience that we had, real estate was bumped to 65, litigation to 100, uh, but excluding family law. And basically what that meant, uh, what that did is provide enough funds for that specific area. So what we try to do as much as possible is real estate pays for real estate claims, litigation pays for litigation claims, and so on and so forth. Um, hmm. and, and that's why you, you have the reverse also is young lawyers to get a 50% credit uh, in their fifth, first year, 40%, 20, 30, and 20% in the f- next four years uh, because they have relatively few claims. Uh, immigration right. lawyers and, and uh, criminal lawyers have 50% discount, again, because their claims are, are, are lower. And so we try to, as much as we can, when we can put things into buckets and, and compare things, we try to make it so that basically the ones who cause claims pay for claims, which is part of the reason why uh, when a lawyer has a claim, they have a deductible, which everybody has, but then there's possibly a uh, claims history levy surcharge that applies to them also. First one is $2,500 a year for five years. Uh, second one is more expensive, third, fourth, and fifth, et cetera. Again, making the, the ones who cause you know, the, the cost, uh, endorse the cost. Um, and that kind of has stabilized matters. Um, it has also helped in that if we were simply to say, okay, we have X amount of claims and X amount of lawyers and divide the, the part, probably everybody would be $10,000 a year, uh, which is just you know, put lawyers out of, out of business. Yeah. Um, and by putting it on a levy basis per file, it's very easy because then uh, if I only have three files a year, I pay three times the levy, but you have a hundred files, you're going to pay a hundred times uh, that levy. And it may equals out at that point, depending on your level of activity um, and, and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. So that kind of, uh, of helps to, to equalize uh, the feel for everybody. 
Right, right. Makes sense for sure. For sure. Well, you've mentioned a couple of ways for lawyers, um, you know, to try to avoid claims, some sort of practice management tips or ways to manage the risk. Um, Does anything else come to mind? Anything else that we can pass on, like some things that people should be keeping top of mind? Well, I have a favorite one, I guess, uh, a golden rule, if you want. And uh, everybody knows the golden rule in real estate is location, location, location. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, you know, the golden rule for, for law pro is document, document, document. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier notes, taking notes. Uh, most important thing that lawyers can do um, is to document their file. And that's either uh, you have a retainer, you have emails, you have a reporting letter, you have a bill, you have interim reporting, whatever you're doing, or you just have notes in the file. The first thing that LawPro will do, uh, will ask for when you ha- report a claim is to get a copy, is to get your file. Mm-hmm. And we often will get the file and the first page has a great big you know, title, notes, and then it typically blank. There's nothing there. Uh, and like, you know, after years of practicing um, hundreds of clients, thousands of transactions, um, um, you know, lots of files and a lot of things that have happened, how are you going to remember that one specific incident? Yeah. And so what very often happens is the, the client goes to court and basically their evidence is I've never had a lawyer before. This is the first time she was wearing this dress. He had his hair that way. She was wearing glasses. He had a tie on. They'll remember the incident. He said this, she said that, she didn't say that and so on and so forth. Very clear in their recollection. It may be false recollection, but it's still very clear <laughs> recollection. You'll turn to the lawyer at that point and say, well, what happened here? And the lawyer, having no notes, will say, well, here's what I normally do in this case and and, and rhyme off the steps that would be necessary in that file. And the judge will thank the the lawyer to say, that's beautiful. That's perfect practice. That's wonderful. Not what I asked you. What did you do for this client in that file on that day? And the lawyer is left stumbling because there's nothing to to help them recollect. And at that point, the balance usually goes to the client and the lawyer loses. Hmm. We have been able to save a lawyer with the time docket simply because the client said, we never discussed that. The lawyer was supposed was able to produce minimum, but still a time docket showed the date, the time, who they were talking to and had the, the, the outline of what the discussion was about, not the content, but that was enough for the judge to be able to say, no, I'm convinced that the, that the lawyer did speak to you about that. And I'm prepared to accept the lawyer's version. And in that case, um, the lawyer came out uh, successful in that. And so documenting what you're doing, um, having, and, and you know, you, it's easy because you, you can use a checklist. If, you, if you're doing the same kind of stuff all the time, which typically lawyers do, right. you, have, you know what the steps are. Why not put them down in writing? Why not have that checklist? And then you can go through it. Um, you know, we're all very busy uh, in the middle of your of, of what you're thinking, your, you know, of what your work, your phone will ring, the internet comes in, somebody comes into your office, somebody distracts you in some way. When you get back to it, you go back to where you think you were, but you skip the step. Of course, you don't know. Well, if you had that checklist, you'd be able to, to be reminded of that. If you had the checklist, now you have something in the file that will be able to remind you going down. Here's what I do. And here's my checklist showing that I've checked them all off. 
you know, those kinds of things. If you have plans, you're looking at plans, have the clients initial them. Um, if, you know, if it's an important decision, have the client sign a direction or some kind of, uh, of acknowledgement. Uh, all of those things basically uh, can help. And a new thing that I just came up, and I, I, I can't believe it took me all this time to figure it out. If you watch TV, uh, you know, whenever you have a psychologist, somebody goes and sees a psychologist, they lay on the couch, you know, the great traditional way of doing it. Um, and the hour session is only 50 minutes mm-hmm. because the last 10 minutes is for the psychologist to make notes. I don't know why lawyers don't adopt that 10 minute rule. Mm-hmm. Whatever your meeting is, keep 10 minutes for yourself, either to review the notes you made during the discussion to complete them or to make them. Um, I know. I was the same thing. I had clients book back to back all day long. Don't worry, I'll put I'll make the notes at the end of the day. Well, at the end of the day, something happened. I had to go home or I had to do something. I had to go answer a client or whatever. And well, I'll do it the next day. And well, the next day came and rolled around and I didn't get it done. And and you know, I don't have any notes. So I think for lawyers, you know, you need to adapt. It's so much easier with technology these days. You can dictate, you can send yourself an email. You can, you know, there's so many ways, or you can send your assistant an email. Uh, There are so many ways that we can make it a habit of putting notes, of of documenting the the file. Um, That is something that lawyers should, you know, work on. Uh, And I think if there's anything, you know, to, to end the kind of the, the communication or to capsule the whole communication area um, is just to make sure that there's something in recorded of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, makes such good sense. So, and I, I love that idea of taking the 10 minutes um, to just look back and fill in the gaps. And because, you know, even the next day, you're not going to remember, particularly if, like you say, you've got clients coming back to back. Um, but something that came up as you were talking, I was just thinking about clients' expectations. Is that like any sort of tips on how to sort of manage clients' expectations and sort of the client relationship? Because I imagine that, that that is something that's really important to pay attention to. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess it, it, it goes back to the, to the beginning, to the retainer or to that process, if you want. What are you doing? What are you not doing? What does the client want? What is it that you've agreed to do? What is it that you can do? Uh, how long is it going to take you? How much is it going to cost? Client's expectations are extremely important. Uh, you can do the best job you, you can or that anybody can and still not meet client expectations if you haven't managed them. And so from the very beginning, uh, lawyers should make sure that they understand that they ask the client what is expected. What do they think they're going to do? The client may not have an idea, in which case, great, then you create the expectations. Uh, but often the clients will come in with an expectation. They want you to fix this. They know exactly how what they want fixed. Um, and it's for the lawyer at that point to say, yes, okay, we can do that. Or no, we can't. Um, or yes, we can, but it's going to cost this much. And, you know, I've had a number of, of clients through the years that came in, wanted to do litigation, and they were determined that they were going to get their pound of flesh. And, you know, I would, I would say, yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we can do that. Uh, you know, here, it'll cost you X dollars. And it was like, oh, just a second. Yeah. Maybe, let, maybe we'll just go for an ounce. Uh, <laughs> you know, so you have to bring those back to reality. And, uh, but it's not only at the beginning either. It's all the way through because what happens Clients will be influenced by a number of people. And so you'll have that meeting, you'll have that discussion, you'll have 
you're satisfied that you've, you've managed the expectation. You know exactly where things are going. And they go off and talk to a spouse, a friend, or somebody else who, of course, has a cousin who did this, that did that, and got this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come back. Uh, and all of us, now they're all pumped again. You know, that that's what they're going for. And so uh, it's something that you have to be mindful all the way through. And one of the ways to be able to do that also is, again, coming back to communication, is having an ongoing communication. Send the client copies of the letter. Send the, co- the client an email from time to time to say, here are the steps. We're still waiting for this. Uh, we got this. We got, you know, we're on track. Um, you, know, we're, uh, you know, those types of things. So that clients understand and remain part of the, of the file. Um, number of clients complain um, that, you know, they gave, they saw the lawyer and then never heard from them again. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way anybody wants to be treated. It's their matter at the end of the day. And so lawyers should try to involve them as much as possible. If you don't consult with them on, on the various steps, at least send them a copy. Clients don't understand what we do. I found it, you know, when it, uh, at the beginning, when I, when I practiced, I used to meet my clients, mostly real estate practice, but my files were about three inches thick. And when I walked in with the file, they would go, my God, you didn't have to bring all your files. And I said, no, no, this is just yours. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and we go through it more or less, the, the file. And, you know, at the end, it was like, oh my God, that's a lot. You know, you do a lot. Um, Clients don't understand that. We need to show them we're bad at that. And again, communication, you know, we're bad at communicating um, what we do. And so if you do that, once that's going through, you'll get some indications from them as to whether their expectations are still on par, what you discuss, or whether they're getting um, off center. Um, And then you can bring them back to make sure that you can manage them all the way through. And at the end of it, you know, having a timely reporting letter, and a bill. I don't know how many times clients have complained, and and a lot of the complaint, a lot of the claims we have start with bills, because you know the client may be very happy with the work that the lawyer did, ecstatic with the results, um, but then they don't get a reporting letter, and they don't get a bill, and then months go by, and then they get this reporting letter that half kind of sets out what happens, but it's also anticlimactic because I always know the ending, I know what I got, um, and then there's this huge bill. It's like, where does this come from? Like, why do I have to deal with this now? Lawyers should do a favor to themselves and, and try to uh, bring their reporting and the billing uh, closer to the time or do interim billing um, right. uh, and, and so on. I, I know, I mean, it's difficult. I, I was in practice. I mean, all of the pressures are on us. Everything's going on. You're trying to satisfy every client. Everybody thinks they're priority number one. Unfortunately, you have 100 Priority is number one, um, and you're trying to bring it all together, and you're trying to do the work. How can you get the reporting and the billing done? Uh, but again, it's a system, right? So we need to find a system, and technology today it makes it so much easier than it was before. But we need to develop that system so that there's a flow to things, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and there's more timeliness to what is going and what going on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, again, makes such good sense. What about uh, the really uncomfortable situation of a client not paying? Well, you know, that's a discussion you have to have at the beginning. That's an assessment you have to have. 
And you have to find out what your risk is, uh, depending on your area uh, that you're practicing. Some areas it's easier in real estate, when especially when you're selling, um, it's easy because I mean, uh, you know, they're getting all of that, all of those funds in coming into your trust account. Uh, you have the money to be paid. Um, in a litigation matter, when you're when you win, um, you get the settlement again, uh, be able to. When you lose, there isn't that cash money coming in. Uh, so it's an assessment you have to have made, um, and you have to decide. You know, how is it that you're going to uh, uh, to be paid? Uh, the problem with many lawyers is that they will they will sue for their fees. Right. And the problem with that and, you know, our, our claims counsel um, tell us all the time that suing on a bill is opening a negligence claim. Because the automatic answer or defense to uh, uh, being sued on a bill is, well, you were negligent. You did something wrong. You didn't do it right. And if you would have had, I would have paid you, but you didn't. So I, I'm not paying you. Then, of course, that means you're now into a claim. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we caution lawyers against suing on their accounts. Uh, yes, we can. Um, but, you know, temper that. Um, sometimes it's better to just take one for the team and just let that one go. Or, change your mechanism, get a retainer if you, if you need to, um, you know, and sh- try to ensure that you have the funds uh, going forward. Know your client. Um, you know, so a lot of clients, you know, they pay well, others, you know, they don't uh, and take the measures there are, but, uh, you know, be careful what you're dealing with because um, there can be, as I say, it could be just leading to a claim against you. Um, and even though it may be dismissed, uh, one of those 50% that we dismiss uh, because it's just really a, a, a dispute on the bill, um, at the end of the day, you're going to have wasted a lot of time and money uh, yeah. to defend yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, such good advice, Ray. Really, really, really helpful. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's anything else that um, we didn't touch on that you think would be useful to pass on to listeners. Given the opportunity, I just uh, have to talk about another issue that's different if you want, but it's one of the major issues that we're seeing these days uh, that lawyers are suffering uh, from. Um, And it's a redirected fund fraud scheme. Um, lawyers are getting emails and directions or redirections or statements um, to wire monies. And they're sending the monies, unfortunately, to the fraudster, not to the party they think they're sending. So what the big scheme is these days is the fraudsters have uh, become patient. And so they infiltrate a email thread. Um, it's either they, they're into the lawyer's account, the client's account, the uh, a third party account. It could be an appraiser, it could be a, a banker, it could be a real estate agent, it could be another broker of some kind. Um, and they're monitoring the account. And basically, when they see that the emails are talking about a money being exchanged, then they'll send a false email saying, oh, by the way, can you make the funds payable here and wire them to this account? And of course, lawyers, you know, we say, well, we need to have, you know, written confirmation. We need to written instructions from the client. So I print out the email, give it to accounting and say, here, send the money and then put that in the file. And I'm covered. That's not good enough anymore. Because Mm -hmm. as I say, these, these emails, they're spoofing the email address or they're sending them directly from the inbox uh, itself. So very difficult to, to, to see, but it will be an instruction to send the funds to a fraudster's account. Um, and so what we're cautioning is for lawyers, 
whenever they receive, and whether it's a direction, a redirection, or a statement, in any way it's sent giving you instructions to wire monies to an account, the lawyer should call to verify the account first before sending the money. Now, that is actually traversed. And, and uh, last week, I got a call from a lawyer. Um, it was a real estate closing. They were closing that day. And unfortunately, when they called the client for the money, the client said, but I sent it to you two days ago. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, what do you mean? Well, you sent the, the, I got an email from the law firm, asked me to wire the money. And they wired the money and they were $200,000 short mm-hmm. for closing. Um, so not only do lawyers should lawyers call, but lawyers should now be advising their clients against yeah. sending wired money without first calling to confirm. We've had um, I have had a, a friend in uh, in Ottawa who basically was closing a, a, a commercial transaction, um, dealing with discharging mortgages with an institution that he's dealt with many many times. They, they made their regular request for the discharge statement for the mortgage. They got a discharge statement by email as they normally would get. Um, the lawyer looked at the e- at the discharge statement. It, it looked fine to him. It, it basically covered all the bases, didn't see anything out, out of the ordinary, gave it to his assistant and said, here, let's make the arrangements to pay the, pay the money. The assistant looked at it and, and said, well, that's funny. Um, they seem to have changed their way. We used to courier a check to them. Now they're asking us to wire the money to them. And mm-hmm. so just out of curiosity, she decided, well, I know I know the person at the bank. I'll, I'll just give her a call. So she called the person at the bank uh, and said, uh, you know, we received a discharge statement for a closing today and we're going to send you the money. But I'm just curious, you know, when did you change the wire instead of, instead of check, the courier checks? And the lady at the bank said, we haven't, and we didn't send you a discharge statement. So what are you talking about? Um, so it goes to that level now. The fraudsters are that sophisticated, wow. and that's why we're trying to bring up um, on uh, for clients and and for the for lawyers. Uh, basically, uh, you know this this kind of call before you click. Yeah, um, yeah. So basically, you know, whenever you get instructions, and and it, you know this earlier this summer, um, a lawyer called me. Um, it was a Tuesday. Um, they had closed a deal on the Friday, late Friday. He said it was a miserable deal. There was all kinds of things. It was a week long to get the closing done. It was very involved. They finally got it closed. And last thing he did before leaving on Friday uh, was send the client the money, $3.8 million, um, as he had been directed by the client, um, as he had been many times directed by the client by email and sent the money. On Tuesday, um, the client called to find out where the money was. Um, and uh, lawyer said, well, okay, it's the wire. The bank lost it again. So let me just call my bank and find out. So he called the bank and the bank said, no, no, the money's gone. Money's, money's been, been deposited and money's there. And uh, when they verified, uh, realized that it was not the client's account, but it basically it was a fraudster's account. The client's wow. email had been countermanded and they had sent the discharge. And uh, so he was calling me in a panic as to what do we do? And uh, uh, now we have did uh, we did put out a, a bulletin. Uh, we put out two articles. One on you know five tips to prevent, um, and hopefully that will stop anything. And then we have one on what to do if you know the money's gone. Um, and uh, they're both on avoid a claim, and that, you know it's searchable, so you can go and take a look. Uh, you know, search for wire, and uh, you'll be able to, to see it. Um, but it's those types of things now, and and it's it's just becoming 
so much more frequent right now. Um, yeah. And it's all over. It's not just here. It's Canada wide. Uh, it's every jurisdiction, every level. Um, it doesn't matter if you're big city, small town, uh, doesn't matter uh, where you practice big firm, not big firm. It doesn't matter uh, the size of the deal. Uh, that seems to be the, 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 the current trend that is you know, making somebody a lot of money. And uh, so we're trying to caution uh, lawyers uh, to make sure they call before they click. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've heard of something else. I don't know um, if um, this has made it to to Law Pro, but um, about people kind of assuming that somebody is acting for them based on like a conversation that they had um, in passing or a text message or something like that, that there's no sort of, we would call it no official retainer, but yet the client is acting as if that lawyer is representing them. How does that come up with you? Uh, yes, we've we've uh, unfortunately received a number of claims uh, in that way. Uh, the ghost client, if you want, um, you have a conversation, like you say, you have a conversation. You're very clear in your mind that there is uh, no retainer in place. Um, but remember, it's not what's in your mind; it's what the other perceives. And so, if the client leaves the conversation perceiving that, oh, I now have a lawyer looking into it and taking care of it. And that happens. I mean, you know, the lawyer, the client will show up three months later after the limitation period has has expired, of course, and say, "Well, how did we do?" And I haven't heard from you. And uh, you know, you're you're kind of surprised by that. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, those are those are the you know the the uh, cocktail hour uh, kind of uh, discussions uh, that that happen when you meet uh, people. Um, we try to caution lawyers to 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 say you know beware of what uh, you should never deal with an individual's issues um, uh, when you're in a in a public format. Um, there's confidentiality, of course. Uh, the other side brought it up, but still, just for protection, uh, it should be you know if we need to get into specifics, call me at the office and we'll we'll set up something or you know we can have a, a discussion then. But also the other thing is, you know, if it gets that involved conversation, maybe it's a, it's worth sending them a, a letter to confirm and a letter. I'm talking about an email could be, you know, something along those lines, uh, especially if clients call the office um, and you'll have that often. Clients will call the office and say, I have a case. I'm thinking I have an issue. Can you help me? What can we do? You have this conversation. It's a great conversation, but at the end, you're satisfied that you're not been hired, but you should have gotten the contact information so that you can send them a confirmation saying that there is no retainer there. And also that's important is if there's a limitation period, it should be pointed out to them. You know, I'm confirming that you did not retain me, that you're considering this or you're doing that or whatever it is that, that, that is going on. And by the way, I'm just reminding you that I did tell you that, you know, there's a two-year limitation period that expires, uh, you know, uh, at this time. And uh, that way, at the lawyer, because we've had clients come back and say that, the, the, you know, I talked to the lawyer, um, never told me that I had to take a decision within, you know, a certain amount of time. Um, I thought I had all the time in the world. And yet, you know, I didn't. Um, and they blamed the lawyer at that time. Again, not necessarily the lawyer's fault, but to a certain extent, it, it, you know, it, it becomes a lawyer's problem. And uh, the, the, the way to be able to solve that is, again, making sure that you have that conversation, you're very firm in that conversation, uh, but also to record it. And even if you don't send something, uh, putting a note to file, I used to have a file of uh, 
ghost clients if you want. Um, <laughs> so it was, it's just a file that I had. And uh, when I had these inquiries, that's where I put them. Um, so they weren't on a piece of paper that I'd sit in the corner of my desk. They were in that file and they were pretty much in chronological order. So if somebody did come in and go, did you ever talk to so and so? Yeah, you know, I have recollection, you know, but I had this file that I could go leaf through um, and hopefully find a note uh, that I had talked to somebody and have, you know, help me recall what the conversation was about at that time. If I could not send them a note, at least I had something in writing myself that could right. uh, help me clarify situations. So, you know, either you're sending something to them or you're putting something down to yourself so that basically that could help you if uh, that comes back uh, to bite you down the road. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So many things to think about. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not practicing anymore. It's just so stressful <laughs> even talking to you about it. <laughs> yeah, well, Ray, thank you so much for sharing so much wonderful uh, information with us and helpful practice tips. And um, I imagine that the resources that you've talked about, Practice Pro, Avoid a Claim, Title Plus, and, and all the other wonderful stuff about Law Pro are all on the Law Pro website. Absolutely. Yes, they're okay. there. Go consult them, go take a look at them. And if you, you know, don't see it, contact us and uh, see if we have something that we can direct you to, or maybe we need to create something. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Ray. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.